A hockey goalie gets suspended three games for leaving his crease and trying to protect himself, I guess, but not everyone sees it that way. We debate if the punishment was fair and uh, if there's going to be a crackdown on further incidents uh, moving forward. Also, the Philadelphia Flyers have lost a lot of games, and twice they've lost at least 10 in a row. What needs to change, and where does the team go from here? Episode... 305 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. Uh, Sabres goalie Aaron Dell, you're thinking he plays on the Sabres now? Yes, and he's going to be missing three games for, uh, 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 he calls it a play of self-defense, but Brett, uh, I don't think everyone sees it that way. Well, first off, I don't know if you realize this, but he was placed on waivers on Saturday, so he may not, I, I guess he, he cleared waivers, but uh, so maybe he's... I mean, with the GAA... Yeah. Around four, it uh, doesn't surprise me and even a, if it's yeah. on the Sabres. And then eight ninety three, yeah, he's probably. I, I guess, yeah, this is on Honestly, Saturday. Honestly, to have an eight ninety three with a GAA over four is low key kind of impressive. Yeah, yeah, especially for a save. Yeah, the Sabres, um, but um, well, not especially for the Sabres because they're they're a bad team. But um, uh, but yeah, I guess he's just going to the AHL after he serves suspension. Um, but, um, yeah, so what, what happened is, uh, Aaron Dell, uh, or Drake Batherson was coming in for the puck and Aaron Dell, uh, elbows him in the face. Uh, Drake Batherson is, I, th- I think the timetable is still unclear. He's out indefinitely. But, at least two months, according but, to what G- DJ Smith yeah. updated a few days after that. So yeah, it's significant. Yeah. It's yeah. a high ankle sprain. Well, yeah, I, I was I was going to say that. I know it's long-term, but yeah, of, of yeah. course you have mm-hmm. the specifics. Um, but, um, but yeah, so at least, uh, so so that's that's bad news for your sins. Sorry, Steve, uh, Drake Batherson. Yeah. He, yeah. He's going to miss his uh, first All-Star game. Um, that's kind of sad, but I guess Brady Kachuk on the bright side will get to go, so that's nice. Um but yeah, but anyway, so Drake Batherson was going to get the puck uh, behind the net, and uh, Aaron Dell leaves his crease and elbows Drake Batherson. Um, when I was looking at it, it didn't seem intentional, but the more times I looked at it, it seemed very intentional. So, uh, so yeah, he get he ends up getting suspended three games. Um, yeah, I think it's, I I, I think it's a fair. Um, a fair suspension, um, and yeah, definitely sucks for the Senators, but but yeah, that's something that you can't really do, and it's something that should have been suspendable. Um, yeah, I think three games is enough, especially for, I think this is his first suspension, so um, so he doesn't have a history of, of these kind of things, but yeah, I, I think three games is a good amount for, for this type of thing. So here, here's actually... The quote. I'll give you the quote uh, after the game. This is Aaron Dell on the Drake Batherson hit. He says, I was just trying to buy some time for my defenseman and step into his lane. 
I hope he's all right. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. Um, again, when asked about it again, reiterating, I really hope Drake Batherson's okay. Buy some time for your defenseman. Which defenseman? Like, I don't see any defense. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I can see more in the self-defense category. Like, he's out of his crease. At that point, goalies are fair game if they're outside of the crease. And that's part of the reason uh, behind the goaltender interference debate is if a goalie's outside the crease... I mean, he's in a vulnerable spot. If he's inside the crease and you interfere with the goalie, then obviously they're going to call that goaltender interference. So I guess he feels that if he's going to venture outside his crease, he knows that he has to protect himself as a measure of self-defense because if he gets interfered with, that's not going to be called goaltender interference most of the time. So I don't really buy the argument um, that he's going. he's buying some time for his defenseman on top of that, Drake Batherson's not expecting the play at all. He's not expecting Aaron Dell to just give him a forearm shiver. And I don't even really know if it was if it was like a look from Aaron Dell and he just put his arm up. It could have been a no-look play. It was such a bang-bang play. But just everything about that, I don't really buy Aaron Dell's argument. I think in the moment, it's probably just to save face. And the reason I say that is because there were two incidents prior to this. Uh, that did not result in a suspension, but probably factored into this three-game suspension that he got. The first one was back in 2019 when he was still with the San Jose Sharks. They were playing the Vegas Golden Knights. As you know, that rivalry is a pretty heated one at that point in time. Uh, you had um, that seven-game series uh, that uh, ended up taking place uh, later on. And then you also had... Um, the series back in 2018 when Vegas uh, went on that incredible run to the finals. In that particular play, it's the other side of the net, the left side of the net, not the right side of the net, where Aaron Dell is, I guess, just coming off of playing the puck behind his net, and Mark Stone is coming his way, and he gives Mark Stone a little shot, which Mark Stone, then with Vegas, takes exception to, as he should. The second one was actually earlier this year, where it's Nashville versus Buffalo, and Tolvanen's about to play the puck. He's in a race for the puck. It's on the left side boards. And Arendelle comes way out of his net to try and beat him to the puck. And he gets a piece of Tolvanen. And the puck is just going past Arendelle as he makes contact with Tolvanen. So it's those two particularly... I, I wouldn't call them reckless plays by Dell, but he's basically abandoning his crease and he's just chasing for the puck. Where it's like, okay, if you're going to behave like that, then don't be surprised if you get punished for it. Yep. And I just think it's a very unnecessary play. It's a very unsafe play. And unfortunately, Drake Batherson gets uh, the rough end of it, and he's out for at least two months with an injury that could hold him back a little bit. And it's unfortunate even more so for him because he's one of the Sens' top scorers. He's having a great year. He's about to go to the All-Star game. And uh, just a particularly meaningless play uh, forces him to sit for the next couple of months. So it, it just sucks all around. Matt Murray, a fellow goalie, uh, says he's not known for calling out goalies and he doesn't like doing so. Um, but uh, he didn't. He wasn't really a fan of the Arendell play. Neither was head coach DJ Smith. Um, Brady Kachuk was uh, actually very vocal about it. Um, he he says. He, he describes the Arendelle play as a BS play. 
Um, I use the acronym because we can't say the full thing on air. Um, and he called it unnecessary and dirty. Um, a type of incident where you, you just feel really, really bad for the player and just a sucky situation all around. So, yes, I think the punishment is fair. Uh, at the same time, though, I think all goalies around the league should be taking note of this as a stance of don't try to do what this guy did or you will get suspended. And I think uh, it was also a, a thing where the NHL is making an example out of Aaron Dell, where it's like, don't try to do this stuff or or you will get punished, as I said before. Um that that's why you have the whole trapezoid there is yes to protect the goalies but also to protect the players um so i i just hope this doesn't become a loophole where goalies try these risky plays yeah uh, i mean i think just the suspension is going to limit people goalies from from doing this type of thing but yeah like from what you're describing i guess he does have a history of doing this type of thing it's just this is the first time where it was actually serious um, and it hit someone. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, a, a bad situation from that standpoint. And the, the, the other thing that I forgot to mention that I will mention, Brad, sorry to interject it's fine. Uh, abruptly. Um, if you don't give Aaron Dell a suspension here, final meeting between Sens and Sabres, I think is February 17th. The Sens are like, okay, he just took out our star player for the next two-plus months, and the NHL did nothing about it. Yep. We're going to stick up for our guy. The last thing the NHL wants to avoid is a very tense brawl because, as I'm sure every single hockey fan knows, teams don't like it when you run their goalie. Even if the goalie in question kind of started this, it's just going to blow up into something completely unnecessary. And the NHL is hopefully, um, by doing this, kind of fanning the flames a little bit and avoiding an unnecessary brawl against two teams that are, I would say, completely out of the playoff race. Yeah. They might fight and claw their way through the rest of the season to try to make a statement moving forward. But uh, given how strong the East is, neither of these teams are making the playoffs. Yep. And they've got nothing to play for, for the most part, except pride. And just sticking up for each other and becoming a team. And in that situation, nothing really good comes out of brawls like that. So I think another reason why the suspension was necessary is because what might happen after it if the NHL does nothing. Right, right. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think we all agree that he, he should have been suspended. But yeah, that okay. is a good point, too. It's just like, in for, further case, if he does come back and plays against the Senators this year, it'll be, uh, it could be even bigger. Um, I mean, I guess it could still be that case as well, but we'll yeah, see. It, it, yeah, like any Buffalo goalie, like if it's a goalie yeah. and wearing the Sabres jersey, the Sens just like, oh, you're going to play like that, huh? Right, right. Or or even just go after a star player like Darlene or Cousins or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, so we're going to uh, go with a... Um, or we're just going to move on now. Um, we're going to talk about another bad team, though. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, which uh, which uh, is interesting because they just uh, won a game against the Los Angeles Kings. But previously, the last 13 games, they had lost. So they went on a 13-game losing streak. Um, and then in the month of December, uh, they, or I guess 
early December and uh, late November, they also had a 10-game losing streak. Um, so there was just some time in between when they started winning some games, but then uh, they've been uh, losing for the most part. Uh, they also fired their coach, Elaine Vigneault, um, and, and now Mike Yo's the head coach, and it doesn't look like they're doing any better. Um, a big reason, though, why we're talking about them, it's not just because they had a 13-game losing streak, but uh, it's, it was announced that Couturier and Ryan Ellis are both uh, expected to have surgery, which would leave them uh, to end their season um, once they get that surgery. Uh, so, so that means that like, if, if the Flyers' season wasn't over already, it's definitely over. Not to mention the fact that Kevin Hayes is injured um, and Joel Farabee is also out as well. So those are kind of big losses for them. So I I do want to, like, I know that we're going to, like, even if they were healthy, it seems like the Flyers would, are still having issues, but but those are four key guys for them. So that could be um, a factor as well. But, um, but yeah, uh... Uh, in other stuff, I know that you're going to talk about Chuck Fletcher's uh, press conference, but uh, I do want to mention that I was actually looking at the Flyers' stats, and it's, it's actually not too bad. Uh, Carter Hart, I thought, was like having another bad year, but when I looked at his stats, he's actually like, yeah, his winning record's not great. Uh, he's 8-14-5, but his GAA is decent, 2.87. And his save percentage is 9.13. So, like, you know, still not the same Carter Hart that we saw two years ago or three years ago, I guess now. But at the same time, it's it's not it's not terrible. Um, and then you have Claude Giroux, who has 35 uh, points um, in 41 games. And then you have Cam Atkinson um, also having 35 points. And those are the two uh, leaders uh, for the Flyers. Uh, you have... I guess then after that, there's a big drop-off. Travis Konechny had 24 points in 42 games. Uh, Joel Farabee had 18 points in 33 games. Ivan Provorov has 17. Uh, Jameson Greenslakes also 17. Scott Lawton has 17. Couturier has 17. Um, it should also be noted that uh, someone like Ryan Ellis, he only, he's only played in four games so far so he but in those four games he had five points so that's uh another thing to to take in mind um and then um all right i'll I'll get into the cap friendly situation after a while but i do want to um but yeah i'll leave this to you on like uh because i assume you're going to be talking about um chuck fletcher's um press conference and uh, and yeah, so what what do you have on on this Flyers team? So uh, first off, we'll talk about uh, what has gone wrong for them before we delve more into the cap stuff. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, two double digit losing streaks, the latest of which hit thirteen. And by the way, that game against the Kings went to overtime, so they almost lost that one. They were a goal yeah. away from losing that. Um, so this is the stats that I got. The day we found out that Couturier and Ellis uh, were potentially gone for the rest of the season. Uh, Chuck Fletcher was basically recommending to the medical staff, given where the team is in the season, 
get these guys right for next year. And if that means missing the rest of the season, then they miss the rest of the season. But up until that point, this was, I believe, Wednesday morning. So um, last Wednesday was the 26th. So this is after January 25th, almost a full week um, before we recorded this. So at this point, the Flyers are 13-22-8 on the season. They're dead last in the Metro Division. I believe that's still the case. Uh, 27th in the NHL. By period, here is their goal scoring. Outscored 46-32. Seventh most goals against in the league in period one. Period two. Outscored 50-30. Only four other teams have given up more goals against in the second period than the Philadelphia Flyers this season. Again, this is as of January 25th. Period three, outscored 48 to 37, 10th most goals against by any NHL team at that point. And in overtime, they were outscored four to three, which is better than Washington, but still not fantastic. Leading after 20, six, one, and four. Trailing after 20, one, 13, and two. Leading after 40, 5-0-2, trailing after 40, a absolutely gut-wrenching 1-19-3. And even when they outshoot the other team, they're below 500. They're 6-8-2. And they're even worse, of course, when they get outshot. They're 5-14-6 on the year. They're 2-19-3, Brett, when they don't get the first goal. Only 11-3-5 when they get the first goal. So they, <laughs> so they basically lose eight of 19 games when scoring first that's just over 50 percent uh, of the games they score first they win that's not great either special teams has also been a letdown uh their power play around january 25th ranked 27th out of 32 teams in the league despite logging the 10th most power play minutes and the 15th most attempts they had 121 attempts so as you might have guessed the amount of power play goals they score isn't good enough. They scored 19 at that point, 8th lowest in the league. Penalty kill, 12th worst ranked out of 32 teams, locking the 5th most shorthanded minutes. That's not great. And the 7th most time shorthanded. So when you put that all together, you think, oh, the power play goals against are pretty high. Yes, you're correct. 29 power play goals against, 7th most in the league. The other problem with the Flyers is they give up too many shots. They have the fifth highest goals against, but they have a lot of shots against. I think they average 34 shots against per game, something like that. Either way, not really good enough uh, to be a contender, especially in that jam-packed division. And in that jam-packed division, in one-goal games, that shows. They're 7-4-8 and eight in one-goal games, 0-4 in shootouts. The reason why I mentioned the shootout spread is because as of January 25th, they're 0 for 16 in shootout attempts. The only team at that point that had zero shootout goals on the year is the Carolina Hurricanes. And if you're wondering how in the heck is that possible, that's because Carolina hasn't gone to a shootout once. They have zero shootout attempts. <laughs> they have a better shooting percentage than the Philadelphia Flyers in shootouts because the Philadelphia Flyers have had 16 more attempts than the Hurricanes 
and you wonder why Carolina's so good. They don't leave it to chance in shootouts. Right. Uh, in games decided by two goals, the Flyers are two and three. In games decided by three goals, they're four and fifteen on the year. Yeah. Which is which is terrible. So you get that sense. So that's why they're bad. The other thing, and we'll get to this right now, Brett, is their cap situation. Even if you look at the amount of free agents, and we'll go over that in just a quick sec, and we'll go over their cap situation uh, in a couple seconds as well, is when you look at the rest of their team, James Van Riemsdyk, Travis Sanheim, Cam Hackinson, Ivan Provrov, the list goes on, Hayes, Couturier, Ellis, Farabee, Konechny, they have a lot of money committed next year and very little room to improve on the salary cap. And they are one of the worst teams in the league. So it's not a situation like Buffalo where you can go, oh, well, we have a lot of guys on unrestricted free agency in our forward group. At least we'll have a lot of money to spread things out and make our team better. Same with the Coyotes in the long term. The cap space is not a weapon for the Flyers right now, Brett. It's a liability. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not looking good. Um, so we uh, so yeah, <laughs> so the Flyers are definitely sellers um, this off season for the or uh, this off season <laughs> before the trade deadline. Um, and when I'm looking at their cap friendly page, I will I will get over to their UFA and their free, uh, RFA situation, which they have a couple of guys. But um, it's confusing because I'm not like it says that they have four thousand dollars left in cap space, but I don't know if that's um, if that's combining Couturier's and Ryan Ellis's contract or not. But um, but yeah. So anyways, <laughs> um, or even like the guys on IR because there's a fair amount of those guys as well. Mm-hmm. So so maybe I am off on that. Maybe there's a way that I can find out if I look dig deeper here. Um, okay, so I guess next year there'll be 13 million. Um, they have 13 million in projected cap space. Um, and I guess that would uh, take into account Couturier's and Ryan Ellis's. Yeah. And uh, Farabee has an extension uh, next year, so he's getting a pay raise as well. Um, and, of course, you have Kevin Hayes. He's making $7 million. Um, and then the Couturier contract, uh, the new one that he signed, right. also kicks in, which is a little bit of an uh, extra million th- coming million. off the books yeah, in yeah. gap space. Yeah, it's not as big as Farabee's uh, change in salary, but it is... Decent, you're right. Uh, it he goes from four million this year to seven million next year. So, so yeah, that's definitely another one that's that's going to play a factor. But uh, all that being said, I can talk about the free agents that are still around. Um, Claude Giroux, he's a UFA. That's probably the biggest free agent that we'll talk about. Gerald Mayhew, who I actually have seen uh, get some goals every now and then recently. So that's. He could be a decent uh, pickup, uh, or uh, he could be a good uh, player for the Flyers eventually, although he is 29 years old. <laughs> um, then uh, then on the defensive side of things, you have uh, Rasmus uh, Ristolainen, Justin Braun, Keith Yandel, uh, Kevin Kanaden, and Nick Sealer. 
Um, and then, um, oh, I, I guess I, I missed that Derek Broussard and Nate Thompson are UFAs um, as well. And then in terms of uh, and Martin Jones is the goalie that's a <laughs> yeah, UFA. You can't forget Martin Jones. Of course, of course. It, it was interesting about Martin Jones because I remember early on, or at least when he was playing the, against the Bruins, he looked like um, like a different player. And then all of a sudden, I guess, yeah, he's, he's not good. He, surprise, surprise, he turned back into a pumpkin. Um, so uh, in terms of RFAs, uh, I, as I mentioned, there's Farabee who just got an extension this last off season, but then you also have a Wade Allison, Zach McEwen, and Isaac Radcliffe, who are RFA. So I guess uh, when I'm reading this back, there are you know Claude Giroux is probably going to be the significant piece that could go somewhere during a trade deadline. But of course, he's your captain. He's been on the team for a long time. So it would be kind of tough to trade him, but I think Flyers fans could understand doing that. He also has a no-movement clause, so it's something that he'll probably want to do, which I imagine he will, because I don't know if the Flyers are going to make are going to win the Cup in, a, in the next couple of years. It seems like they're going to be rebuilding pretty soon, so so maybe, maybe Claude Giroux will want to go somewhere else even though he is, like, you know, he has been the captain for a while and all this stuff is in Philly. But, um, but yeah, I, I could definitely see maybe Claude Drew wants to chase a cup. Um, that would be definitely something that's interesting. Um, and then in terms of other trades that they could make, uh, Rasmus Ristolainen would be interesting. Uh, Keith Yandel, I'm sure a team could use Keith Yandel for their cup run. Um... And especially because uh, we didn't really talk about this, but there is some bright spots uh, to the Flyers this season. There is Cam York. Um, he uh, he just got on the team, and uh, although it doesn't it doesn't appear so right now, he has three points in twelve games. Just if you look at his stat line, but at the same time, he you know he he was on like the uh, pow- first power play. Um, and all that stuff, so it's, um, and he's getting 18 minutes of ice time, so that's something that could um, help them out in the meantime. Also, Cam Atkinson, um, he's he's been pretty good. He's having a better year than he had last year in Columbus, although I guess a lot of players aren't doing that, uh, just because Tortorello is there. But, um, but yeah, so, so I, I feel like maybe, like, you know, they, they, it was a terrible trade to get Rasmus Ristolainen, um, and maybe Keith Yandel isn't going to be signed anywhere, but um, or like that was a bad signing, but I'm sure there's a team out there that's going to want uh, Keith Yandel, especially, I don't know if you realize this, but he's close to getting that Ironman streak. Um, yeah, I think he's He's played like a. I think thousand. he got it actually. Oh, did he get it? Yeah. So he's. I think he did. So he's officially the. He has the Iron Man streak. Yeah, I think so. I saw an article uh, about it that if he was if he didn't reach, it was very close. I think I thought it was like that because I thought Phil Kessel was like a couple of games ahead of him, so that's why I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. But you might be right. Um, but so so I guess that's another positive thing for, for the the Flyers as well. But, We're starting to take a look at those positives. Yeah. You know that yeah. there's not really much worth. Well, I don't know. Like an Ironman streak, it's impressive. What, oh what, yeah, it is. Yeah. 
but it doesn't really establish that your team is well. Like six yeah. two and two at the start of the year, yeah, that was great. Yeah. But outside of that, yeah. I mean, what, what's what's interesting about Keith Yandel and Phil Kessel in particular is that like they have this reputation of being soft players and things like that, but there is a yeah, skill to that. Yeah, there's that negative aura about them. It's yeah. just like, yeah, they're good, but like, right. they're not really players that you can really get behind. Right, right. But then, but then it's like, well, at the same time, like, all these players get injured all the time. Um, like, I think Couturier always gets injured pretty much every season. Um so it's like okay, that's like there's definitely Crosby gets injured pretty much every season, Latang um, as well. So it's it's kind of like a, a you know it's an advantage that you can have. It's just like yeah, maybe they're not the best players or they're not playing at their hundred percent all the time. But you maybe know, it's a case where like fans are just like yeah, this guy gets hurt a lot, but I like what this guy does when right. he's healthy as opposed to. A guy like Keith Yandel, where, yeah, he racks up the points, but he also racks up the giveaways. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point, too. But, um, but yeah, anyway, I guess I'm just trying to, like, cheer Flyers fans, if we have any yeah. listeners. But, um, uh, but yes, you're right. Uh, maybe it's not great. But, um, but yeah, anyways, I, I think, like, in terms of assets that the Flyers could trade this year, it's really Claude Giroux, if he wants to leave. Which I I could see that happening, and um, and then uh, yeah maybe you get something out of Rasmus Ristolainen. Just admit that that trade was horrible, and uh, try to see what you can get out of Ristolainen. Um, yeah, I don't think you're getting anything out of uh, pretty much anyone else. Maybe Justin Braun. Um, maybe. Um, let's see, also, I guess you could get something maybe out of James Van Riemsdyk, but that's kind of tough, because yes, he is a UFA in two years, but, uh, he's making $7 million, so I guess if, if James Van Riemsdyk is going to be traded, it would be, um, you know, you would have to re, re, um, retain some of the contracts, so that might not be something that they want to do, um, especially since, I guess... Ilya Briskalov is still on their cap situation <laughs> somehow, um, so so maybe that's something that they don't want necessarily want to be doing, but uh, they could, I guess. Um, yeah, what what kind of assets do you think the Flyers sh- should sell? So I know that Flyers management said it's up to Claude on his decision because Claude has a no move clause. Yeah. So Claude controls his own destiny here. And there's this is final year of his deal. It's a pretty high cap hit, but the Flyers feel they can work something out with Claude Drew to stay in Philly and that unless he wants out, they want to keep him. I'm going to rant on this probably multiple times on this podcast. I've ranted about it multiple times already and I'm going to bring it out again. Uh-oh. <laughs> what do the Flyers want to be? Uh, and I'm going to give three examples here. You can either be the team that decides right early on what direction you're headed, who you think is going to be in the long haul, and for whatever reasons, whether it's production, whether it's age, whether it's change of scenery, whether it's meshing together with the team, whether it's meshing together with the ownership, you get as much value for them as they can. So... In the case of Ottawa, you look at what they did with the Eric Carlson situation. 
You look at what they did with uh, Matt Duchesne and all of the guys on expiring contracts. They got the most what they could for them before it was too late. In particular with the Eric Carlson situation and the Mark Stone situation, there was a lot of fan backlash. But again, if you look at the Sens and all of the moves that they have made, the only move that production-wise hasn't aged well is Mark Stone. It aged well with Eric Carlson. It aged well with Matt Duchesne. It aged well with Kyle Turris. It aged well with Ryan Dezingle. Yeah. By aged well, I mean from the Sens' perspective. Mark Stone is the only case where you could say his production's gotten better. He's the captain of an NHL expansion team that's done a lot in four to five years. And Mark Stone isn't regressing, he's thriving. You could make a but case the, about the other, you could make a case yeah. about Matt Duchesne, but I, I do yeah. understand your point. <laughs> I, I think up this year might have changed things just yeah. a little bit with that. Um but, I but get your even point. then, yes. the Sens got fair value with Anthony Duclair. If, yep. if they if they were keen on keeping him, maybe they would reap more rewards off of that. But they still got a pretty respectable season out of Anthony Duclair yeah. there. So that's one side of the story. The second side of the story is it's a bit similar to the Sens, except it's a bit more progressive. It's the Minnesota situation with Bill Guerin, where he's like, we're going to trade away some key guys. It's not going to be good, but trust me, in a couple of years, this team's going to look very good. And look at what happened with Minnesota. Look at how we see Minnesota now mm. with Kirill Kaprizov and all of those guys and Jordan Greenway and Marcus Foligno. While he might not be a top six forward, he's having one heck of a year. Ryan Hartman, heck of a great year. Their goaltending is pretty decent, too. And they have a solid shutdown defensive trio of... Matt Dumba and Jared Spurgeon and Jonas Brodeen. Look at Minnesota now. Yeah. Whereas a couple of years ago, they had Jason Zucker. They had Zach Parise and Ryan Suter, who got bought out this offseason, as we all know. And there were a lot of trades that a lot of people were on the fence about in Minnesota. And I'm sure across the NHL, a lot of fans weren't sure what Minnesota was doing. But it's paid off for them. And then you've got the teams that are like, you know what? We're going to double down on this core. We trust this core. This is the core that's going to get it done. And we're going to spend even more to prove to you that we have the right people in place. That is what I fear the Flyers are going to do. And I'm not sure if it's the wisest play. Because, yes, you could trade Claude Drew or you could keep Claude Drew. And the one thing that makes me hesitant about trading Claude Drew is... Claude Giroux provides the leadership that I'm not really sure you can replace if you part ways with him. Like, who's going to be the leader on the Flyers? Is it Sean Couturier? That's the name that comes to mind for me. But the question is, is he ready? Is yeah. he ready for that captaincy role? And that's the kind of gamble that they take if they trade Claude Giroux. From a numbers perspective and from a value perspective, you're not going to get the same value for Kevin Hayes as you would get with Claude Giroux. At this rate, with James Van Riemsdyk's production, you're lucky if you get a first-round pick for James Van Riemsdyk at the moment, just because of the production and the fact that his cap is too high. Not because he's a bad player, but just because right now the numbers aren't showing that you should give up a first for this guy. Yep. Claude Giroux, you look at his face-off win percentage right now. It's 60.8%. There are four, or sorry, three other guys with at least 300 face-off wins that have a better face-off percentage, and they are as follows. 
Patrice Bergeron, because he's goaded at 63.2%, he has taken 956 faceoffs this year. Second on that list is Jay Beagle with a 61.7% faceoff win rate. He's taken 308 faceoffs. And the third guy on that list is John Tavares with 61.6% success rate in the faceoff dot. He's taken 653 faceoffs. And guess who's on his team? An also very good center named Austin Matthews. Claude Giroux has had to deal without Sean Couturier in the lineup. And he's still put up respectable faceoff numbers. On top of that, he's put up a pretty good offensive season. Yeah. For a guy that uh, at one point a couple of years ago was being knocked on for not scoring enough goals, I would call this a fairly productive season from a Claude Giroux perspective. Uh, just confirming uh, his goal total here. I know he's near points per game. So he has 15 goals, 35 assists for uh, 35 or 15 goals, 35 points rather in 41 games, which is a points per game of 0.85. That's pretty good. He has 11 power play points. That's pretty good. With 109 shots, that's a 13.8 shooting percentage. And he's averaged 18.49 per game. I would call that a very respectable season for Claude Giroux, especially as he's entering his mid-30s. You could get a lot for a guy like Claude Giroux. Like, imagine the suitors that could use Claude Giroux for a playoff run right now. Especially when you consider that out of his cap hit, his base salary this year is $4 million. So that's a more movable contract right now than Kevin Hayes and James Van Riemsdyk. So that is the guy I'm really curious as to what direction the Flyers lean. Because even if they sign Claude Giroux, the rhetoric is going to be, well, how much are you going to get for Claude Giroux? Are you going to get more out of Claude Giroux by keeping him or by moving him? And that's the big question that I think the Flyers have to grapple with. And it's also going to determine how good they're going to be. The reason I say that is because, yes, they have a lot of young superstars. uh, Or, well, at the very least, stars. Young stars that I think could have solid NHL success that we haven't seen, even like Morgan Frost and Tyson Forster. And you already have guys like Joel Farabee in the system and Cam York, who's on his way in. But that's a couple of years down the road where you're really going to see these guys make an impact. You're, you need those young guys in order to compete with this current core of veterans. And the cap hit is really not going to give you much chance to improve. So honestly, with that much term and that much dollars committed to the Flyers veterans... That is the only reason why I contemplate a Claude Giroux trade, because I think if the Flyers want to retool, they have to get a bit younger, and they need to get as much as they can out of the veterans that they have. And if by doing that, it means trading Claude Giroux for young pieces and prospects, and it makes you better in a couple of years, yes, it might hurt for the fan base, it might hurt for the player, but at this point, if you're the Philadelphia Flyers, you're in a dog-eat-dog division, you got to make your own breaks. You can't just wait for things to happen because they're not. Yep. Um, so, so to say, well, first off, uh, to comment on your sense and wild uh, opinions there, um, okay. a comment. Um, so, f- yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like, looking back, the sense actually did pretty well in that regard. 
Um, but I will say that, like, the the fact that, um, like, yeah, the, the Mark Stone trade is probably the only one that they would want to get back. Um, you know, the Eric Carlson was bad at the time, but it turned out to be pretty well, but mostly just due to injuries um, to Eric Carlson, and, you, and then the Sharks just ended up stinking due to Martin Jones, so then... Uh, you guys got a, a top pick, and we're able to do what uh, to the Sharks what uh, the uh, Avalanche did to the Senators. So, mm-hmm. so that was definitely good for you guys. But um, and you, you know, you guys do have uh, definitely have some some prospects. Brady Kachuk being the biggest one, and then also Jake Sanderson um, in the mix as well. So, yeah, it's definitely. Um, you guys are in good shape for the future. Um, but, and then the other hand is the Wild. Um, I think the thing, though, with the Wild compared to the Flyers, though, is that, like, Kaprizov was known to be, like, he was a blue-chip prospect. And although Joel Farabee and Cam York are going to be pretty good, I have good faith that they're going to be good, they're not going to be Kirill Kaprizov level, so um, and or like um, and they're not going to be like Matt Boldy is, and uh, and as good as Provorov has been, that's uh, he's not like uh, what you would describe as like a Matt Dumba, Jared Spurgeon type player. So um, so I mean I, I guess Provorov might be better than those two guys, but. Like, that's all you have, pretty much. And Sanheim's good, but not great. So it's like, uh, it's definitely... And Cam York could be something, but he needs time. So I don't know if you can really compare them to the other guys, um, or those two teams, really, just because the Sens were a tire fire, um, and then they're, they're still kind of a tire fire, but not as bad as they once were. Um, the Wild weren't really a tire fire to begin with, and they just got lucky that they drafted Kirill Kaprizov in the fourth round. Um, so, um, and then they drafted really well afterwards with guys like Marco Rossi, Matt Boldy, uh, uh, even Jesper Wallstead and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, Adam Beckman, I can go on. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't... I don't know if you can necessarily compare the Flyers to that. I think what is evident, though, is that the Flyers should probably go on the rebuild, but I think it's so tough to do that when you have Claude Giroux. If he stays, he's probably going to still be making a lot of money um, if he resigns with the team. Uh, you have Claude JVR making $7 million. Um, you have Cam Atkinson making five million. You have Kevin Hayes making seven million. You're gonna have Sean Couturia making seven million pretty soon. Uh, you have Ryan Ellis making six million. I um, mean Provorov making six million. So you have a and they're all like long term contracts. Um, so it's um, so it's just tough to move players around based off of that because it's like teams aren't going to want to trade. For let's take JVR for instance, because he uh, he's making seven million for two years. It's um, yeah, it's not like a long term, like it's not as long term as say 
Um, I don't know. I'm trying to see what's even the worst contract. Like Kevin Hayes. I, I know you hate him, but... <laughs> yeah, and he has to I hate the contract. Him. I don't hate the player. Let's hey. get that straight, please. <laughs> fair, fair enough. <laughs> I, I, just always, I just always... Uh, uh, connect that you you don't like Kevin Hayes but yes you're right you, you don't like the contract that's true yeah um but uh but let, let's okay I, I'm gonna take Kevin Hayes for instance because I think that's the worst contract of of everyone on this team but like let's say you tr- like he removes his no movement clause he wants out whatever um you can't really like move him that easily because he's he still has five years left on his contract he's making seven million dollars and then that hurts your cap as well he's 29 years old so it, it is really hard to rebuild um by doing that um and i guess i guess at the same time like the wild had parise and Suter on a long-term contract making a lot of money um so i guess i guess it can be done but uh, there, I guess you would have to like um, figure out a way to like buy them out somehow. But it, like it was only like you know a couple more years left on Prise and Sutter's contract, and the Wild were making strides towards the playoffs without uh, Sutter, Suter, and um, Prise's contributions. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I I guess. My point is, is that it's it's tough to like go on a full rebuild when you have a bunch of these long term contracts that are paying like six million or longer, depending on if it's deserved or not deserved. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess. And then to go back on what you recently said about Claude Giroux, I think it it really you know you said it at the beginning that it really just depends on if Claude Giroux wants to leave or not and. Because I, I don't, if, like, let's say, well, if Claude Giroux doesn't want to leave, then he just wouldn't remove his no-move clause, and, and that'll be that. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, if, if he does leave, or if he does want to leave, then that's great. But it would be a bad look if he doesn't want to leave, and you're forcing him to move his no-movement clause. Because that guy is a captain. He's been on the team for about a, a decade now. Um, and you know, he, uh, he deserves to at least have that say and permission to, to want to go elsewhere. Um, I imagine that he does want to do that, uh, just cause like he doesn't have a cup. He, the Flyers aren't going to make the cup anytime soon. So, so I imagine he might want to do that, but yeah, it's, it, I can also see it being a tough situation for him because, the flyer, like you know, he's he's the flyer forever. Even if he wears a different jersey, he's always going to be a flyer in my mind. So, um, or he's like representative of what flyers hockey is all about. So, um, yeah, I, I I think it's it's it really all comes down to that. Um, and so let's say Claude Giroux is out of there, like doesn't want to leave. Um, I guess what you would have to do or the next biggest target would probably be Rasmus Ristolainen or Justin Braun um, and try to get more like young defensemen because I think that's their biggest issue. Um, And um, yeah, or even if you trade like a forward, um, that would be what you really want to 
get going on is just figuring out their defensemen. Like, yeah, you have Cam York, um, who's pretty young, but uh, who else do you have? And, and, and uh, Ivan Provorov. But other than those two players, you're, I don't see, I think all the other defensemen are expendable. Um, and also going back to that wild analogy, oh, and, and Ryan Ellis, I guess, is another one. But uh, going back to that wild analogy, it's like their prospect pool isn't so great that they, uh, like, the wilds were. So, um, so yeah, I, I think they, what they should do is they should try to just stockpile on picks and get prospects as well and just, you know, go all in on the um, go go all in on the on the prospects and draft picks that they have, but it might be tough just because they have a lot of long term contracts and stuff like that. Yeah, and and that's and that's part of the reason why I debate whether or not the Claude Drew situation yep. in Philadelphia is going to work out if he stays, because then it's like, okay, well, do we have to move on from some of the younger players like Travis Sanon yep. and Travis Konechny, which I still think is possible. I think Ristolainen and Braun get dealt at the deadline regardless of what happens with Drew, because you need yep. to improve that defense. It's not good enough right now, and it won't be good enough uh, moving forward if they don't make changes to it. Yep. And part of the reason why I mention the Claude Giroux thing is... Let's imagine a scenario where Cam York, Morgan Frost, Tyson Forster, they're all good to go. They're meshing well with the young guys and with the old guys. If that's two or three years down the road, what's your core going to look like? Is Claude Drew going to be a dynamic player still? Is Kevin Hayes going to be a solid two-way player slash point producer? Uh, is JVR still on your team? Is Cam Atkinson playing at the rate he is now? It, what what does Sean Couturier look like? Joel Fairby, Travis Konechny, all those guys, Carter Hart even. Yep. Where is your team in two to three years? And the, and the answer to that is, of course, we don't know right now, but are you willing to gamble that in two to three years you're going to be ready to win? In which case, you might have a very tight window because you look at Ivan Provorov's contract, for the next three years after this, it's a $6.75 million cap hit. For the 2023-24 season and the 2024-25 season, he's getting paid $8 million at least for both of those years, which kind of limits your cap space there. And then, of course, you're going to have to figure out uh, what happens with Konechny because at that point he's going to be a free agent similar to Provorov. Right. Uh, you have Carter Hart under contract at his near $4 million cap hit, for two more seasons until he becomes an arbitration RFA in 2024. So there's all of that stuff to plan out as well, which is going to be another reason what factors into how many of these pending free agents are still available for the Flyers heading into next year. And they only have a short period of time to do that because the worst thing they can do is hang on to these players and they leave in free agency and you don't get any sort of value. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Uh, I didn't, I was looking at um, at the 2021 NHL draft because I, I forgot who the Flyers drafted in the first round that year, or this past year, and it turns out they gave away their pick uh, to Isaac Rose, uh, to the Buffalo Sabres in their wrist aligning trade. So, yeah. um, they do fortunately have their first round pick this year, but I thought, like, 
Oh, that's right. They don't even. They didn't even draft in the first round last year. Um, but um, but yeah, no, that that is a good point. Um, I know that. Uh, so so just moving on here. Um, Fletcher said that uh, they they do want to rebuild, but then a CEO of Comcast or chairman of Comcast, I think he was chairman, not the CEO. I and mean, Comcast has a stake in the Flyers. A, a big voice in Comcast. Yeah. Uh, said that the, they hope to compete in two to three years. Um, but even though, like, Fletcher was saying, like, he wants to rebuild now. Um, so, which is which is interesting, because I feel like the Flyers, it, it's, it's tough to really tell how good they can, like... It makes sense for the Flyers to rebuild, but I guess it like just looking at the cap situation and what Comcast wants, the ownership group wants, it will. It seems like that's going to be a tough thing for them to do. Um, so I guess the question is: is how do you fix the Flyers short term and long term? I think the, the biggest thing is, and we've just talked about this all the time, or we <laughs> is basically just fix the defense. Um, like, yeah, they have good players in Couturier, Cam Atkinson's getting going. Uh, I like Farabee. I like, um, and Claude Giroux, if he's, if he's remains, uh, he's a good player, obviously. Travis Konechny, uh, he's kind of been disappointing, but he's, he still has flashes where he's good. Um, so, so you do have a couple of good forwards on, in that group. And, and like I was mentioning on the defensive side, you pretty much just have, Provorov, York, and uh, Ryan Ellis, and pretty much everyone else is pretty much expendable. So that's something that you have to figure out. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by Carter Hart. I know that he's, uh, he's still kind of struggling, but he's a lot better than he was last year. Um, and he's also 23 years old, so it's like these things are going to take some time. It's just the Flyers, the, the players ahead of him aren't as good. Um, and yeah, and you just get a better backup than Martin Jones. Um, Martin Jones is not an NHL goalie at this point standpoint. So, um, so I, I, but like, I guess there's not an immediate need to, uh, get a backup goalie since I don't think the Flyers are going to compete this year and maybe not next year. Yeah. So the backup goalie situation is pretty interesting because these are the three names, the three NHL names that have been a backup goalie to Carter Hart. Uh, those names would be Cam Talbot, Brian Elliott, and Martin Jones. I don't really know, um, <laughs> given the status of where they were in their careers, where they arrived, uh, if they were necessarily the best options, maybe the best options available at the time, but is that good enough for the Flyers? I really don't think it is. The other thing is, yes, the defense we've we mentioned it repeatedly that uh, the defense needs to be better let me remind everyone that while the flyers did go on a pair of double digit winless streaks this year there was one season where they won 10 in a row and also lost 10 in a row yeah. and that was with a different coach i think that was with dave haxtell not even la Vigneault. that was with dave haxtell so i'm, I'm thinking okay is it the defense? Perhaps. But how much of it isn't? 
is it part of the core which is another reason why i'm debating if the core needs to change a little bit because we've gone through a couple of coaches Haxtell Vigneault and now Mike Yo on an interim basis and it, it's been told that he's going to finish out the season they also hired John Torchetti as an assistant coach um to, to help out with the coaching staff there they brought in Michelle Terrian as assistant coach to help out with Vigneault uh I believe he was relieved of his duties at the same time Vigneault was so that unfortunately didn't work out great for Philly uh in that sense so I think for starters, you need to sort out the defense for sure. You need to get stable goaltending behind Carter Hart because I do have faith in Carter Hart. I think he is the guy yep. for this team. The other thing you need is you need a coaching staff headlined by a coach that can get the most out of his players for more than just one season. You need that sustainable head coach that delivers success year in and year out. The Flyers haven't had that. It's always been the one year in the playoffs, one year or two years out of the playoffs, then they're a playoff team again, then they're not a playoff team. And it's going to remain that way or even get worse if they don't continue getting better in every sense of the word because the division continues to shift in all sorts of different directions. We talk about the Penguins and the Capitals as you know a team that always seems to do well and you look at the Rangers and the Hurricanes, and it seems they're battling for first place every single night. One team wins, the Rangers are all of a sudden first in the Metro Division. Then the Hurricanes play last, uh, the next night they win, they're first in the Metro Division. And then the same process repeats itself. It's back and forth, it's back and forth. The Penguins and Caps have been there sporadically, but for the most part, last couple of weeks I've noticed, it's been either the Rangers or Hurricanes on top of the division. And then you have the Caps and the Penguins battling it out for the third and the fourth spots. That leaves very little room for the other four teams, including the Flyers. So, again, I, I pose the question again, what do the Flyers want to be? If they want to contend in two to three years, they really have to consider the structure of the team, what's made them successful, what's not making them successful right now. And I think the biggest part of that is the coaching. Because... The coaching yep. is going to be responsible for the offense, the defense, and the goaltending. And all three need to be on the same page, in the right direction, and pushing this team forward instead of backward. So that, that, that I think, to me, is, is the key point. And Chuck Fletcher's had a couple of opportunities uh, to, to make things right. Well, for sure, one opportunity. It worked out for the first year, but since then... The Flyers haven't lived up to expectations. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely something to consider. And that brings us to our next question. Uh, would you fire Fletcher as GM or fire Yo as coach? Um, yeah, Fletcher definitely has made, he made questionable decisions um, this offseason, um, especially the trade to getting Erasmus Ristolainen. Uh, Ryan Ellis, it, it's it's not his fault that he uh, Ryan Ellis got injured, so I, it's, it's tough to judge him on that that call. But um, but yeah, that that Ristolainen trade is not looking good right now. Um, so so I, I don't know. I guess depends. I I could see there being like a GM that uh, could be better for Chuck Fletcher, but if that's gonna happen, I think it's going to happen after the season. Um, just because I think like it, 
it's kind of unusual to fire a GM in the middle of the season, especially just before the trade deadline. So, um, so I think we'll probably, if he's going to get fired, it's probably going to be after the season. Um, as for Mike Yo, um, yeah, just going on a 13-game losing streak is like he is on an interim basis right now, so it's tough to really tell him that uh, to judge him on that. Um, and uh, you know, he was already in a deep hole already, or he was just in a tough situation. So um, I, I think Mike Yo is actually a good coach, but it's definitely. Um, I, I, I would assume that there's going to be better coaches in the offseason. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't think Chuck Fletcher and Mike Yo will be on the Flyers next year. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't even know who else um, is available. But, yeah, I think just uh, it makes sense for them to, um, to not be there anymore, just to hold them accountable. Um, but, uh, but it's not necessarily Mike Yo's fault just because Mike Yo just got there pretty much. So it's, it's, he's in a tough situation already. Mike Yo is not going to be the head coach of the Flyers after this season. Not because he's a bad coach. It's yep. the Flyers need more than Mike Yo as coach. Right. And it's as simple as that. Um, I think you can make the case for a lot of coaches out there except for and i feel like we bring his name up constantly this year john tortorella yep. I, you can look at you know the conflicts with players that he's had at times and say i don't want that coach on my team but you look at what columbus did with tortorella at the helm you can't deny the results the results are year in and year out john tortorella got a lot out of his teams and they made the playoffs so if the Flyers are looking for a coach that consistently makes the playoffs, even in non-hockey markets, Tortorella gets the job done. Yep. Now, a lot of people will say, well, sometimes the game passes people by. And I will make this argument with Chuck Fletcher, uh, to an extent Ken Holland, because there was a time where Ken Holland was the GM master. Right. The, the guy that uh, I'm sure a lot of GMs look up to and said, I want my team to be like the GM or, or to be like the team that GM Ken Holland constructed in Detroit because they would have consistent success in the regular season. They go to the playoffs and they make a lot of noise most of the time. But in the case of Chuck Fletcher, and I'll get to that in a second, I wanted to first bring up this uh, quote from Bobby Clark, who is critical of former GM Ron Hextall and the choice that he made in 2017. He said that Hextall shut his door, locked the doors, he was the boss, that they had the second pick in the NHL draft that turned out to be Nolan Patrick. And I feel bad for Nolan Patrick because he's the one reading this, but uh, Bobby Clark was blunt and honest and said, none of our scouts wanted Nolan Patrick. We wanted McCarr. And it wasn't yeah. that Nolan Patrick was bad. He, of course, went on to say Nolan Patrick's a pretty good player, but our scouts wanted McCarr. And then, of course, we all know what McCarr has turned into. We all know, sadly, that due to injuries, Nolan Patrick hasn't been able to become the player right. they were hoping he could be. And now he's with the Vegas Golden Knights organization. And he also went on to say that uh, the Flyers had two or three first-round picks in that draft that are never going to play, and that's why we're struggling. Well, there was also a quote that was brought up in that conversation that talked about the Braden Shen trade and how that 
the Flyers scouts weren't even really consulted on that play at the draft when it happened. Um, he claims that Hextall made that brain trade with the Blues all on his own. And the scouts were very mad at Hextall for doing that. Uh, also mentioning that they had a chance to get Ryan O'Reilly from Buffalo, but uh, that didn't uh, happen. He ended up going to the Blues. Um, and he said that was the manager's decision, but scouts weren't consulted on uh, the O'Reilly discussions with Buffalo. Yuri Laterra obviously didn't really fit in with the Flyers, but they got a 2018 conditional first that, tor- that turned into Joel Farabee and a 2017 first-round pick that turned into Morgan Frost. That might not be such a bad trade for Hextall's Flyers at the time. Yep. And moving forward, uh, Morgan Frost and Joel Farabee could do a lot of good things for that team. So, yes, every GM has his good moments, but he also has his bad moments. I bring that atten- uh, to mind because here's what Chuck Fletcher has done since GM um, of the Minnesota Wild. That was back in 2009. And he's been in the game since 1993 in various other roles. He was assistant general manager. He had been into a couple of different markets before he went to Minnesota. His first NHL GM gig was with the Minnesota Wild in 2009 a sustainable long-term GM role. He has made 242 signings with two teams since 2009. $1.2 billion, roughly, maybe a bit more than that, has been spent on those 242 signings. And I want people to keep in mind, over that time as GM of the Minnesota Wild and the Philadelphia Flyers, How many division titles has Chuck Fletcher's teams won during that span? How many playoffs did they make it to? And how many playoff series did they win? Because, yes, the Flyers had a good first year, and they were very close to making the conference finals, but they fell short in Game 7. That was the only playoff series win that the Flyers got. Reason being is because they didn't make the playoffs the second year, um in the Vigneault run, and it looks like uh, they're not going to make the playoffs again this year. And he spent a lot of money. The first signing that he made was the Kevin Hayes one. Then it was Provrov and Konechny, both in the same month, September 2019. So that's three signings from June to September, a couple months stretch. Mm-hmm. He made the Hayes signing, the Provrov signing, and the Konechny signing. That's 19 years of commitment and at least $120 million spent over that 19 years of commitment. He had, of course, a couple of pretty bargain signings. They had the Oscar Lindblom one, the Nico Bay-Kubel one. Robert Haig was pretty decent as well. Uh, he also gave a year and $3 million to Eric Gustafson, which, you know, coming off the career season he had, I guess, that was justified, but in hindsight didn't really age well. Um, and I guess you could argue the Scott Lawton one uh, could be a bargain as well. But... The amount of money that this guy has committed to teams that have been okay and most of them have made the playoffs, but they really haven't done much to say this team is a constant, consistent contender that everyone should fear every time they go up against them. I don't really get the feeling right now that the Flyers are a team that should be feared, that everyone should have marked down their calendar, that everyone should think, man, if we don't come up with our best game, we're taking a big fat L to the forehead because it's the Philadelphia Flyers and they're a very well-structured team. And that is why I really question if Fletcher should be back next year. 
and this this before uh, we go to you, Brad. This is something that I should really, really emphasize. The team, Flyers management, is willing to give Chuck Fletcher a blank check oh, yeah. to fix this mess. A mess. <laughs> a mess that he created unfortunately has unraveled after all of the spending he made a yep. couple of months ago you're willing to give him more money to fix the mess that has been created by chuck fletcher yep like how are you supposed to contend in two to three years when you're just like yeah we'll just throw more money out there while the same guy make those moves and maybe the second time will be different how do you know that mm. i guess you don't really know if you go with another guy the results are going to be different but you've seen this guy make these moves. They haven't worked. Why would you trust the same process that hasn't worked for the past couple of months? That hasn't even got you seventh in your division. In a division where there's very little give and take. And you're not going to get better unless you're bringing your A game every single night. And yes, I guess there's injuries. Yes, Claude, uh, yes um, Ryan Ellis has been hurt. Sean Couturier has been hurt. You've had players out of the lab due to COVID. That's such, you can't control that. But even if this roster is fully healthy, I was hoping that the Flyers would be able to at least contend. I'm not so sure they can, even if everything goes right. If this year, if, if this Flyers team, if you ice them next year and the year after that and the year after that, and everyone's fully healthy and ready to go, I don't know if you get a playoff team. I honestly don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that is definitely concerning. <laughs> the other part of that's concerning is the what the Comcast chairman said about um, just wanting to compete in two to three years. It's just like, have you seen what the Flyers are doing right now? It's just like, is this does this even look like a competing team? Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely concerning that like you're going to give more money or want to give more money to Chuck Fletcher. I mean, thank God there's a cap though. So it's like, <laughs> he can't really fuck it up even longer, but, um, yeah. sorry, F it up even longer, but, um, but yeah, it's, that, that's definitely a concerning thing. Uh, the other point that I wanted to make, uh, about that, I know it's like, we're, we're talking about a former flyer talking about a former GM there. Um, but uh, Nolan Patrick, at the time, like, I know, hindsight 2020 and all that stuff. Yep. And but, injuries. Like I said, yep. you can't control that. You can't control injuries. That too. But, like, and I don't know, like, I mean, I guess that is concerning if, if that is true that, like, Hextall was locking Bobby Clark out of the division and wasn't talking to anyone. But Nolan Patrick was, like... Uh, considered to be one of the better t prospects, and like Kel McCarr had his own issues. It's like, yeah, it's not super surprising that Kel McCarr is what he is, but at the same time, he was doing a lot of like he was at a lower level of hockey that Nolan Patrick was at the time. So uh, yeah, Nolan Patrick was the pick. It, like Ron Hextall, like yeah, I'm sure he regrets it now. But at the time, I, I don't think anyone would bat an eye uh, picking Nolan Patrick instead of Kale McCarr. So, mm -hmm. so that, that part, I feel like, is a little bit disingenuous to me. Because I, I think that, like, like it's, it's easy to say that, like, oh, I should have drafted, we should have drafted Kale McCarr. It's like, 
Yeah, you know who also went directly after the, Nolan Patrick? Elias Pedersen and Miro Heiskanen. <laughs> and and so, Heiskanen went before yeah. Makar. It's like, it's, yeah, yeah, Heiskanen went before Makar. So it's, and like, even like Pedersen was like a weird pick that people had. So, mm-hmm. so, or like people thought, I think it was like Velarde that people, um, uh, was like, was the consensus pick at that time or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's just, so, so that, that aspect of it is, it's just, like, that's why I feel like it's a little bit disingenuous of what Bobby Clark was saying. It's just like, yeah, every team, like, the, the New Jersey Devils would have drafted Kale McCarr if they knew what he turned out to be. It's just, so that, that part is definitely, um, I feel like, just, like, it, it makes it seem like, like, he was this fortune teller and stuff like that. But I... I highly doubt that, uh, like, do you think um, Barbary Clark was, like, going to AJHL games and watching Kel McCarr play and, like, and just being like, yes, I know this guy is going to be really good, uh, but he hasn't even, I know he hasn't played any college guys, I know he hasn't played anyone in, um, in the OHL or the CHL or any of those leagues, but, yeah, Kel McCarr is the pick and all that stuff. It's just, like... No, come on, dude. You're, that's that's not happening. That didn't happen. So, um, and, and, and like yeah. to, to add to your point as well, it's like you look at the second round of that draft. Uh, they yeah. took Isaac Ratcliffe, thirty fifth yep. overall. Jason Robertson went to Dallas four picks later. Matt yep. Comtois was fiftieth overall to Anaheim. Ian Mitchell went to Chicago seven picks after Comtois was drafted by the Ducks. Yeah. And there were other picks like round four. They passed on Drake Batherson. Yep. Uh, but when you get into the fourth round, that's good scouting where it's just like, you know what? If you get a gem in the fourth or fifth or yep. sixth or seventh Even round, the second round, that's more yeah. of a credit to the scouts because the evaluation of talent is very tough in yep. those rounds. So, like, detect the gems out of every everyone else. So, you know what? Mistakes happen all the time. And I guess he cited multiple mistakes in that draft with Hextall. And you know what? Maybe Hextall wasn't the right GM for the Philadelphia Flyers at the same time. And this is why I mentioned um, that pick that doesn't necessarily mean Chuck Fletcher is a better than GM than Ron Hextall, nor does it prove that Chuck Fletcher is the right GM for this team moving forward. That's that's mostly why I mentioned it. But yes, carry carry on. I just wanted to bring that up. And and I guess to your other point too, is because he also mentioned that like the other picks that they had, um, didn't pan out. So it's like Morgan Frost is pretty good. Uh, next year, I know Jay, Jay O'Brien hasn't made it to the league yet, and he's kind of struggled in college every now and then, but uh, he's been good now. So um, so there's that. But you also have Joel Farabee, who's who's one of the better draft picks in the 2018 draft. So And again, um, yep. I, I mentioned Farabee and Frost, part of that Braden Shen yep. deal that Ron Hextall made that supposedly Bobby Clark said no one had any input on. Right. And yes, it's a roll of the dice, but still you can't go out there and say it was a bad trade because right. it kind of wasn't. Yeah, because those are two franchise players that you have are core pieces that you could have build your team around. So, um, yeah, it, I, I don't know if... I, I feel like Bobby Clark just didn't know what he was saying. He just is mad that the Flyers aren't doing so well. Um, and just wants someone to blame it on, but, um, but anyways, um, the, uh, so that about does it here. 
Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also, or you should subscribe to us if you haven't already on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, at Lace Them Up. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 306 of the Lace Them Up Podcast.